welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. When Noah was 600 years old, on the seventh day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth, and the rain fell in mighty torrents from the sky. The rain continued to fall for 40 days and 40 nights. For 40 days, the flood waters grew deeper, covering the ground and lifting the boat high above the earth. As the waters rose higher and higher above the ground, the boat floated safely on the surface. Finally, the water covered even the highest mountains on the earth, rising more than 22 feet above the highest peaks. All the living things on earth died. Birds, domestic animals, wild animals, small animals that scurry along the ground, and all the people. The book of Genesis, chapter 7, verses 11 through 12 and 17 through 20. Hello, I'm Victoria Kay, and today on Anchored by Truth, we're starting a new study series brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. I'm in the studio today with R.D. Fierro, the founder of Crystal Sea Books. He wanted to share a brief word of introduction. R.D., You're an author and founder of Crystal Sea Books, but you say you prefer to think of yourself as an Isaiah 54 learner. What do you mean by that? Well, why don't we go ahead and listen to that section of Scripture. Isaiah says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught, that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear as those who are taught. Here's what I mean by that. Anchored by Truth's goal is to help stimulate discussions among our listeners about the Bible. So the way we like to introduce a show is by using a segment that we've produced. It's usually going to be a piece of music or a humor piece or something like that. And we want to use that segment to stimulate some thoughts about the Bible. Then what we're going to do during the show is to talk about the biblical underpinnings of that segment. So in this particular case, when you listen to that scripture verse, what the prophet is doing is saying that he's a learner, that morning by morning, the Lord awakens him, and when he awakens him, he gives him a word. And the word that he gives them is used to sustain other people. You know, most of us have enough trials and challenges during our day that we need some encouragement during the day. One of the best ways, especially believers, can encourage other people is to remind them of things that are out of the Bible. So that's what I try to do. I try to learn something from the Bible, and then if I come across somebody who needs that as a word of encouragement, I try to pass that along. And that's kind of what Isaiah is saying. Now, there are a lot of great Bible teachers who have radio programs and TV shows and have YouTube videos on the Internet, and I enjoy listening to them. I learn a lot from them. 
But for this show, rather than trying to be a teacher so much, we're trying to be discussion leaders. We just want the, the listeners to hear something, maybe humorous, that strikes them, that maybe generates a thought. And then we wanted them to follow up on that thought with their own families or in a discussion group or a Bible study or something like that. So our goal is to be an encourager, first of all, and second, to stimulate the desire in people to want to go and do more learning, investigation, and discussion on their own. I had never focused on that verse before, but it does help us all frame how we could approach the scriptures. We can all be listeners, students, encouragers and sustainers, even though only some are really qualified to be teachers. Neat. So, how about if we move on to our discussion topic for today? What are you thinking to kick us off? Well, I think it's pretty obvious from the opening scriptures that today we're going to take a look at the story of Noah. But we're going to take a look at it from a little bit different perspective. We'd like to start today listening to Noah and the Ark, one of our series that we call Life Lessons with a Laugh. Hi, I'm R.D. Fierro from Crystal Sea Books, here today on location in our mobile recording studio, which is to say the Crystal Sea Cabana. You mean this tent we got from that going-out-of-business sale at the discount store? We're set up on the North Fork of the South Branch of the Eastern Turn of the Oaklockney River and Drainage Basin. Today, you can just call me Captain R.D. because I'm feeling very nautical. Also here with me today is someone who is well-known to the Crystal Sea boating community, a solid sailor who definitely knows that naval architecture isn't just a reference to a different kind of belly button, Seaman Second Class... uh... Seaman Second Class? Really? The name you're looking for is Jerry. Right, Seaman Second Class Larry. Uh, That's not my first or last name. To me... Second Class Larry is the rotating beacon that everyone is seeking when their boat is leaking and they're close to freaking. Not sure if he's talking about a lighthouse or just channeling his disco years. Anyway, for this next series of life lessons from the Bible, we thought we'd change our location from our worldwide corporate headquarters near historic downtown Tuag. I do like Tuag. Both the town and the breakfast. What can I say? to a location more in keeping with the theme of our current series. Today, we're pondering that literally world-changing episode involving the literally best-known charter boat captain ever. Of course, I'm talking about Noah. Oh, that's why you went come out here, where we have to dodge these vulture-sized mosquitoes. And how come they don't seem to find you as as tasty as they do me? Wisdom, second-class Barry. Still, Jerry... Or, more specifically, the application of wisdom. You don't actually think mosquitoes make a choice to not bite you based on your... based on your wisdom, do you? Sure I do. Well, that and the mosquito repellent, which I bought prodigiously when we decided to do this series, and applied generously this morning before we came out here. Though it does get a bit sticky in this heat. Oh, that's what I smelled. It sure would keep me away. Exactamundo, Jeremundo. And the application of wisdom is one of the primary lessons we get from the story of Noah and the worldwide Drencho-Rama. I'm sure all our listeners remember the story. The Lord warned Noah that he was going to cause the flood of all floods to destroy all the evil he saw on the earth. A flood of biblical proportions, literally. Literally. 
again. I thought we'd gone over this. Afraid so, my second-class friend. Literally, the Lord was going to cause the flood and then write about it. I mean, where do you think the phrase, flood of biblical proportions, came from? I know where the phrase comes from. It's just... Well, while second-class Harry entertains his friends over there in this riverside hothouse, let's remember that the Bible says Noah had found favor in the Lord's eyes because he was a righteous man. So at the same time the Lord warned Noah about the coming flood, he gave him the plans for how to build a really big charter boat. A boat big enough to save Noah and his family, and a whole <coughs> boatload, literally, of animals. Boatload, really. Literally, really. Sheesh. Ow, where's that mosquito repellent? And why did Noah bring bring them along? I'm not sure about that, Jerichito. I'm not an expert on mid-third millennial B.C. entomology or endangered species requirements. What I do know is that Noah was told to bring the animals into the ark two by two. Two, two by two by two by two by two 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 by two by two by two by two 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 by two by two by two by two I also know that Noah displayed a remarkable degree of wisdom and persistence when he obeyed the Lord. Most scholars think Noah took fifty to seventy-five years to actually build and provision the ark. Imagine that, starting a building project at least 50 years before you see any evidence it will even be necessary. Today, most people are flummoxed if they have to wait an hour in the doctor's office. Step on the scale. And leave your shoes on this time. Last time the odor was... Ew. So you see the point, right, secondhand Larry? One of the things that made Noah righteous was that he was wise enough to listen to what the Lord said and not wait to apply it to his life. If he had waited, who knows? The ark might not have been finished on time. Just like if I hadn't bought the mosquito repellent before we came out here, I'd be providing snacks to the locals like you. Got you, R.D. Got you. Uh, it's Captain R.D. And Hey, how come you look so comfortable all of a sudden? It's called the application of wisdom and technology, Captain. A generator, fan, and fridge. The proper application of technology to your circumstances is a sign of wisdom in our age. Right, uh, second, uh, Jer, right. Wisdom should be applied to your circumstances no matter what age we're at or in. When the Lord speaks about leaks, creaks, or squeaks, you better plan for the crisis before the water, or temperature, rises. Again, Jeremation, you have pulled cool treats of truth out of that big ice chest of biblical refreshment. The secret is to get one with wheels, so you don't accidentally drop it on your toes when you're wearing flip-flops. Well, that's it from Jeremy. Oh, and it's still Jerry. Me, R.D., and the whole Crystal Sea Cabana crew for today. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where... We're We're not famous... But our boss is. Obviously, you and Jerry have a good time together, and Noah and the Ark is one of the best-known stories from the Bible. So what were some of the ideas that were running through your head when you produced the lesson? 
Well, by background and career, I spent 30 years doing contract work. Usually the contract work was for a government entity of some variety. But when I was trying to do my contract work and I had to read a contract, there were three things that I always tried to keep in mind. The internal consistency of the document, the purpose of the document, and the unity of the document. Interestingly enough, the Bible is really an unfolding series of contracts, or more properly speaking, covenants. And one of the covenants, one of the contracts in the Bible, is the Noahic Covenant. And the Noahic Covenant is a part of God's larger covenant of grace. I imagine many people have heard the word covenant, but may not be familiar with its specific meaning. Today, it's easy to look up things on the internet, but you like the definition of covenant which is given in one of the theological notes in the New Geneva Study Bible. When it comes to defining covenant, I like how the New Geneva Study Bible describes it. So I'm going to quote here. A covenant in Scripture is a solemn agreement, negotiated or unilaterally imposed, that binds the parties to each other in permanent defined relationship with specific claims, promises, and obligations. So said a little differently, covenants are similar to contracts, but there is an important difference. Covenants are contracts that have a sacred dimension, but God is perfect, and because God is perfect, any covenant or contract he establishes is also going to be perfect. So we can look to God's covenants in the Bible to fulfill all the best attributes of regular contracts. They're going to be unified. They're going to all work together properly. That is, they'll be internally consistent. And they're all going to serve a very important purpose. And in fact, most of the time, I think it's safe to say, God's purposes have eternal significance. So one of the things that we're looking at with the life lesson from the laugh that we listen to today is what's actually going on in terms of the covenant that God was establishing with Noah. And we'll get more into that, I think, in just a little bit. The important thing to note is that the story of Noah is about way more than just a boat and a boat builder and a cargo of critters. The Noahic covenant is one of the most important covenants in the Bible. So the lesson we heard today and the others in the series are designed to entice readers to go back and study the story of Noah. Noah wasn't just a great boat builder and zookeeper, was he? Wasn't he also important to the overall story of redemption? Well, exactly. Noah is very important to the overall story of redemption. Noah's story is part of the covenant of grace, but his story is also a great illustration of God's grace. God could easily have let the entire world be destroyed by the flood, but he didn't. He saved Noah, and he saved his family, and he saved the animals. And when he did that, his covenant of grace kept unfolding. The story of Noah appears in the book of Genesis, which is the first book of the Bible, but it continues all the way through Revelation, the last book in the Bible. So even though the books of the Bible were written over 1,500 years, it's all one story. It's all a story that keeps unfolding, book by book, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. And one of the great things about the story of Noah is it's simple. It's engaging. It's so simple a child can learn lessons from it. But it's so profound, we could spend hours and days just talking about all the implications that are found in it. Can you expand on that idea just briefly? Some of the things about Noah's story are just absolutely charming. Look, there's a family. They're building this huge boat. The people around him are probably making all kinds of fun of them as they're building this big boat and they're nowhere close to the ocean. But they're building it anyway because they're obeying God. But there comes the day. The clouds open up, the fountains of the earth broke open, and the flood does come. 
So that family's diligence, their wisdom, their application, that was rewarded. And they save themselves. They save enough animals to be able to repopulate the earth. So that alone, that part of the story would be great if that was all the story was. But it's even better than that because at the end of the story, God makes a direct revelation to Noah. And as part of that direct revelation, he says, I'm going to give you a sign. And so we have all the elements of all the great stories. We have drama. We have tension. We have courage. We have diligence. We have sacrifice. We have salvation, and ultimately we have reward and encouragement. But the Bible doesn't treat the story as fiction, and that's when the problems begin? That's exactly the problem. Today, there's a big temptation in the world and in the culture to sort of treat the Bible as a book of mythology, but that's not how the Bible treats itself. The Bible treats itself as a book that contains a variety of forms of literature, but certainly one of the most important forms of literature is history. And when the Bible recounts history, like the history of the Noah story, it does so in historical fashion. It'll provide details. It'll provide dates. It'll provide little incidental things that will show the reader that this was real history. This was the history of real people living in a real place at a real time. Well, of course, the story of Noah is, hey, there was a worldwide flood at one point. Well, there was a worldwide flood in today's age where we look to science to solve all the mysteries and problems. People will go off on the scientific search to determine, is there any evidence that at one point the whole world was covered in water? And we're not going to talk a lot about that today, but we will in future episodes. But this study of science, the study of the science, of the story of Noah, it spawned a lot of discussion, a lot of debate. So Noah is an interesting story. Not only is it close to the beginning of the Bible, in the first book of the Bible in Genesis, but it's a story where you find the collision, a lot of different elements that are important today. It's kind of a collision of history, science, faith, the Bible, academia, and culture. Ouch! You mean a flood of conflicting ideas? Well, there are a flood of conflicting ideas or potentially conflicting ideas in Noah. But part of what we want to do in our series of lessons, which are built around our Life Lessons with the Laugh series of Noah, part of what we want to do is to look at the story and see whether or not it deserves a place in history. And along the way, we're going to have to examine a few other sets of questions, questions about truth, about science, and about history. We want to see whether all those things are going to have to be inevitably in tension with one another, or whether they can be viewed harmoniously if they are properly understood. Our view is that science and faith are not opposed to one another. All truth is God's truth. So if we understand scientific truth, that ultimately will harmonize with biblical truth. Well, that's a lot to address. Are we going to get to it all in one lesson? Oh, no. There's no way we can unpack all that in 30 minutes, but that's okay. We're going to take as many lessons as we need to kind of examine the whole story of Noah and look below the surface and and look and see what the story is actually saying and what it's even telling us that's relevant today. And, of course, along the way, we're going to find out if I can master tricky two-syllable names like, well, you know, the ones that we hear. Do you ever get them right? Well, listeners are just going to have to tune in and see how well I do with the names. They may be surprised. Well, before we close for today, let's circle back to contracts and covenants. 
Let's take a brief look at why the covenant God made with Noah is so important to redemptive history. It's in chapter 9 of Genesis. What verses are we looking at? Well, let's take a look at one more passage of Scripture for today. Uh, I think we need to go back to the book of Genesis, chapter 9, verses 8 through 17. And we've taken this passage from the New Living Translation. Then God told Noah and his sons, I hereby confirm my covenant with you and your descendants, and with all the animals that were on the boat with you, the birds, the livestock, and all the wild animals, every living creature on earth. Yes, I am confirming my covenant with you. Never again will floodwaters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. Then God said, I am giving you a sign of my covenant with you and with all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed my rainbow in the clouds. It is the sign of my covenant with you and with all the earth. When I send clouds over the earth, the rainbow will appear in the clouds, and I will remember my covenant with you and with all living creatures. Never again will the floodwaters destroy all life. When I see the rainbow in the clouds, I will remember the eternal covenant between God and every living creature on earth. Then God said to Noah, Yes, this rainbow is the sign of the covenant I am confirming with all the creatures on earth. So one of the things we see immediately about the Noah covenant is that there's a sign of the covenant that we can still see today. We can look up in the sky and see a rainbow. That rainbow, still today, tells us that the Lord has made a promise never to destroy the earth by a flood ever again. Now, if that sign is kind of comforting to us today, and a lot of people, let's face it, enjoy looking at rainbows. They're pretty. They engage our imagination. If that sign's important to us today, think about what that sign would have meant to a group of people who had just lived through the biggest flood you can ever imagine. They would have been, well, they're alive, but they're also alive after a traumatic experience. So when the Lord stepped up and said to those people, look, I'm never going to do this ever again, that would have been a huge source of relief to those people. But even then, there might have been questions in their minds. How can we be sure? So the Lord didn't just give them the promise. He gave them the sign. Then that raises the question of whether rainbows existed before the flood and its aftermath. Did God change the natural laws when he caused the flood? Well, biblical commentators are not universally agreed on the answer to that question. But certainly one of the most prominent theologians in the church's history, John Calvin, did not see that there was a necessity for the Lord to have changed the physical natural laws in order to produce the rainbow. Calvin, like a lot of commentators, believed that the rainbow was probably there before the flood. It's just that after the flood, God gave a new meaning to the rainbow. And so Calvin told the people of his time, there's no need to get into arguments with philosophers and naturalists over how the rainbow is produced. The Lord is sovereign over creation. If he wants to assign a particular meaning to a physical phenomena, he's allowed to do that. It's enough for us to recognize that rainbows are created by physical laws 
light operating through water droplets, but just to know that the Lord gave that physical phenomena a new meaning after the flood. That's a great lesson, isn't it? Rainbows may have been present in the sky before the flood, but God assigned a new meaning to their presence. As you said earlier about contracts and covenants, covenants have a sacred dimension that serves an eternal purpose. So after the flood, God used rainbows as part of his covenant to show Noah and the rest of us that he not only created everything, but also that he continues to superintend his creation today. Absolutely. God created everything. God maintains everything. God is not a distant God. He's a God who is present in our daily lives. He's certainly present in the daily operation of his physical creation. We call God's normal operation of his physical creation natural law. If God decides to intercede into the operation of his physical creation, we call those miracles. Let's circle back to the covenant of grace and how the flood and the rainbow and Noah all fit into that. The Bible says that there was unspeakable wickedness during Noah's day, but Noah was a righteous man. Now remember that the covenant of grace had begun long before the flood. It began back shortly after the Garden of Eden and after the fall when God promised that one day there would come a Savior who would crush the head of the serpent. And of course, the serpent represents Satan. So God's covenant of grace actually began way earlier than the flood. The flood, though, was one part of the unfolding, the operation of the covenant of grace. Noah was a righteous man in a wicked age. As a righteous man in a wicked age, he was available for God to use to save not only the people on the earth, but also the animals on the earth. I think it's fair to say that God made sure there was a righteous man on the earth to be able to perform that task. God was simply continuing his unfolding plan of redemption, or the covenant of grace. We have the reminder of that intervention in the continuing sign of the rainbow. Sounds to me like a good time for a prayer. Today's prayer comes from another one of Crystal Sea Books' offerings, the book Purposeful Prayers. A prayer for the renewal of the Church. Righteous and just Father, you know the thoughts and meditations of your people as no one could. You are the Lord of our hearts and the fulfillment of all of our ambitions. You have numbered the hairs on our head, so you certainly know when we propose to do your will and when we don't. Lord, there are a great many faithful followers of yours in our nation today. There are many whose hearts are totally devoted to you and who want to see your kingdom come and your will be done. Yet within your church we believe there are many who have been tempted by the snares of the world and a great many who have fallen prey to the evil one. We are saddened and grieved by this and we yearn for restoration and renewal of the church in our land. Lord. If this nation is to survive and remain a land where people may freely worship you, we acknowledge that it will not be done through or by our efforts. Only the Holy Spirit can change the hearts of our countrymen, and we believe that he will act only as we persistently and continuously pray for renewal to come. Words do not do justice to the longings within our spirits to see this nation be visited by another great awakening. 
as you have done in the past, bring light to your people. Let us learn to handle your word properly and then bring it to the world by Christ's power, through Christ's love, and praying continuously in Christ's name. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalseabooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.